This is the Breaking Labels Podcast, and I'm Rosanna Gill. Each episode, we'll discuss labels that have confined the stories of my guests at one point or another and their journeys to thrive beyond them. Some labels are external, and others we put on ourselves as limiting beliefs. But regardless of where the label comes from, we're here to break it because we were meant for so much more. Hello and welcome back to another week of the Breaking Labels podcast. I am your host, Rosanna Gill. And before I get into this episode, with I, which I hope gives you a lot of tips and insight into experiences you have and how they could be stopping you or holding you back now. I did want to let you know about our partner this week, which is Candid Co. I use Candid and I am actually using them as I speak to straighten my teeth. There are a lot of aligner companies out there right now. And, you know, I can only speak to Candid and another one that I tried a couple years ago that I will not put on blast um, because, you know what, it probably works really great for other people. Actually, I know some people it worked really well for, but I didn't like how painful it was and I was not prepared for that. Um, And I also didn't like that I couldn't drink anything but water while using the aligners. And your girl loves a lot of flavored things, okay? Even my water, I put flavor in it so that I can drink a gallon a day. Hydration is important, but sometimes water's boring, man. And then do not try to take my Celsius or my iced coffee from me because that's what New England did to me. I hated iced coffee before I moved up here and now it's the only thing I drink even in the winter. Oh, but I digress. Back to Candid Aligners. <laughs> if you use the link in the show notes, you if you decide to get a consultation and get the aligners, then you will get $250 off your aligners which is a pretty darn good deal, I would say. And again, just speaking from my personal experience, I love, again, I can drink anything I want, even my spicy margaritas, while wearing my aligners. And I don't have the pain that I had before. And I don't know if maybe it's because it's more of a gradual progression as far as the alignment, but I'll take it because those suckers hurt. And it would it would hurt when I would take them out. It would hurt when I would put them back in. And with Candid, I just don't feel that. And it's just been a very easy, comfortable experience. So if you ever have any questions, feel free to DM me. And I'm happy to send you pictures of them, send you the picture of the little contraption that they send where you can actually take a scan of your teeth as you're going through the alignment process, which is then sent to an orthodontist for review. And they let you know, okay, keep these aligners in for another two weeks. Or okay, now you can move on to the next set of aligners. It's really pretty cool. And oh, also, this is all happening on an app on your phone. Y'all, come on for 2021 in these apps. Sometimes they're pretty amazing. So feel free to reach out to me if you have questions. And again, use the link in the show notes and you will get $250 off your aligners. All right, let's get into the episode. Hello and welcome back. So last week, if you have not listened to last week's episode... There was a, I shared a lot of personal stories and talked a lot about trauma. But, you know, I thought of something this week. And while trauma absolutely affects people in their careers, in their relationships, whether it's personal, romantic, family, all of it, I wanted to talk today about what is it, what happens if you didn't necessarily have a trauma? Trauma actually 
actually falls under a larger umbrella called adverse childhood experiences. And we're trauma can. Obviously, you can have trauma as an adult, just like you can also have an, an adult adverse experience. But I wanted to talk more today about things that impact you that maybe it isn't something as extreme as a mentally ill parent or a parent that's dealing with addiction. You know, those are things that I think I, I, there's a lot to be said for the impact. And, and I will touch, especially on addiction, because I think that's actually a lot more common than people like to talk about openly. Um, but I really wanted today to dive into all the different experiences that can lead to negative self-talk that could be holding you back in your career, could be holding you back in relationships. And I will focus more on careers just because in all honesty, I don't really think that's something that's talked about as much. There is so much information about the cycles that we we perpetuate in our romantic relationships, you know, maybe this isn't maybe this isn't new to you or excuse me, maybe this is new to you, but you know, you tend to repeat the cycles that you grew up with. If you had an abusive parent, um then it is pretty common that you will have an abusive partner. But what I don't think is talked about nearly as much and affects quite a big portion of our lives is our work relationships and the jobs that we're drawn to, the roles that we're drawn to, and the way we show up in those roles and whether or not we feel empowered to set boundaries. Now you heard in last week's episode about all the boundaries I did not have and all of the horrible self-talk that I had. But I want to talk about some ones that are pretty common. So I will start off. There is obviously, I'm, I want to leave room. Do I do want to talk about addiction because again, like I said, it is pretty common. But to give you an example of what on earth is an adverse childhood experience. Ah, I'm glad you asked your friend. One example would be, and this is one that's actually very, very common. Let's say you come from a family where above all else, the facade of the family is the most important thing, the image that you project. So all hell could be breaking loose at at the home, but in public, y'all are perfectly put together. You might as well be a June and Judy. What is their name? What are the Cleavers? I don't know what their names are, but the point is y'all show up as the perfect family and you don't talk about the issues that are happening at home. Nobody wants to hear about that. So you don't talk about it. And the reason that that is an adverse childhood experience is because it teaches you as a child that your own personal feelings and experience must take a back seat to that of the family unit. So even if you have a feeling, even if you're going through something, the importance, the focus is put on how the family looks as a whole. So that doesn't really leave a lot of room for the child to break from that. And inevitably they're gonna fall in line. Children are pretty amazing in that and in, in that they learn, they adapt to do what they know is going to keep them safe. So if that means not acknowledging their own needs for the sake of keeping up a good front, then they will just like their parents have done. And I see this a lot with baby boomers. I think there's sometimes some reticence or some (laughs) about therapy in that generation, because quite frankly, it wasn't common. And 
their parents came from the Great Depression where there really wasn't a lot of room for feelings. You were just trying to survive if you did. Like that, that was it. There was kind of this disdain for emotions. Like who has the time to feel when you're just trying to survive? And I get that. You know, it's it's like uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Okay, well, talking about feelings wasn't so important when you just you just had to work 14 hour days, go to sleep, eat and go back and work another 14 hour days. Right. So understand that when that was the unit, when that was the mode of operation, it didn't come from a place of trying to stifle anyone per se. You also have to look at it as your parents and your family were doing the best they could to survive in their generation as well. So I do want to preempt it and say that and just acknowledge that. So that's one example. Another one is being told what you want it to be. Now you might think, well, that is great. Like who, who, how is that an adverse experience? That's not traumatic. And I'm not saying it's traumatic, but what I am saying, when a child says, I want to be this, and they are swiftly corrected by their parents and they're told, no, you want to be this. This is also something that you see a lot in first generation immigrant families, where the family moved here for a better life. And is there any surprise that there are record numbers of doctors and lawyers and those children? Because there's this pressure that we moved here, we sacrificed, we left everything we knew to come here. You are going to have the best possible education and job you can. Or if we can't afford for you to have that education, then you are probably going to take over the family business. And that is just what you do because that's what we came here for. We came here as a unit. We came here for you to have a better life. And while that is the most noble intention possible, I'm not taking away from it. Again, it doesn't leave much room for the child to have their own intuition and to listen to what they want or to feel empowered to decide what they want for themselves. So you end up having, and not always, but you do end up having these adults who have these very successful careers and there's this expectation hangover where they have done everything that they were supposed to do. They have done all the things and yet they're still not happy and they don't know why they're not happy and they think, God, it must be something wrong with me because I have all the things I'm supposed to want to have. I.e., they have everything that they've been told that they should have, that they should want to have. But in that telling of what they're supposed to have, they also had the right to choose for themselves slowly taken away. And they became disconnected from their true self. So that's an example. Another adverse childhood experience. When your parent reads your diary. Now, this never happened to me because quite frankly, <laughs> I never stuck with a diary long enough for it to be interesting enough for anybody to read it. Like I would maybe do one entry a year, if that. However, apparently, and I didn't know this until I've been doing a lot of research and a lot of studying, but this is pretty common. And <laughs> while I completely understand how a parent would justify this and, well, I need to know what's happening in their life, in my child's life, I need to do this to protect them. The unfortunate side effect is that your child learns that their privacy, um, their boundaries do not matter. Now, 
I can understand a parent saying, but it's in my household. There are some boundaries you can't have. Well, okay, all right. But the problem again is what does that create for them as an adult? What boundaries are they empowered to have if you as an adult, as their parent, as their their you know authority figure, remove that from them? Where does that leave them? Are you so surprised that they would have difficulty setting boundaries as an adult when they were told that their boundaries did not matter? Another one that's very common, and this especially in the South, and this goes back again to boundaries, is let's say you're out with your parents and you meet somebody and that person says, well, aren't you going to give me a hug, honey? Come on, give me a hug. And you as a child who the beauty of children is they know their boundaries from the get go because it is intuitive and they hold back. And the parent says, no, go on, go on, give them a hug, be polite, don't be rude. Seems so innocuous, doesn't it? But what it teaches a child is your boundaries, your physical boundaries do not matter because you have to be polite. That's what's important. People pleasing is more important than your physical boundaries. That's scary. That's very scary. That's how you have a generation of women who don't know whether or not they can say no or when they can say no. And I say that from experience. (laughs) And now I don't remember, honestly, actually I do remember one time not hugging someone and getting flat for it, but they were not a stranger. They were a family member. I just didn't have much of a relation with them, relationship with them. So no, anyway, going back to being a people pleaser and not being sure how to set a boundary Years and years ago, I went on a date with someone and he was very polite. He held the door for me. He opened it. He held my chair for me. He did all the things that a Southern gentleman was supposed to do. So at the end of the night, I don't remember why I was driving, but I was. And he told me I was going to drive him back to his hotel. And he said, oh, no, you're you're going to come to my room. And I said, I am. And he said, yeah, yeah, you're not going home. You're going to stay with me tonight. So I went because he told me to. He was polite. And I remember later that night when things were starting to escalate, as they do when you go to someone's hotel room, and I resisted. And he said, well, why? I mean, why would you even come here? Like, why did you? You wouldn't have come here if you weren't open to that. And I remember very clearly thinking, I didn't know I could say no. I didn't know I had that option. I've never told anybody that because it's incredibly embarrassing to admit that at that point, I think I was 23, 24. I didn't know if I could say no to someone if they were polite because that's what I did. I was the nice girl. I was always a nice girl. I got, listen, the attention I got from being a good girl quote slash nice girl. Woo! Problem was, I didn't know how to turn that off. And I didn't know when I had a right to. And unfortunately, there were a few other situations pretty similar to that where I didn't think much of it and I just went along with it. And then I find myself in a situation where I think, oh, is this, am I supposed to, would I, was I supposed to say something else? Was I supposed to be rude? Was I supposed to say no? Was it okay to say no? They were so nice. I thought, it, I don't, I don't want to be rude. 
That was always my big thing. I don't want to be rude. Yeah. I say that to say anybody who's listening to this have that has a daughter, please tell them they can say no. Please don't make them hug someone to be polite because trust and believe. I got very lucky that even though I found myself in that situation, the worst case scenario in my mind didn't happen. But it doesn't mean that I was in any less of an uncomfortable situation. And I know this, I'm going to go down a rabbit hole real quick on this, but it's part of the reason why I had a lot of compassion for some of the stories that came out during the Me Too movement or during the height of it. And, you know, a lot of the shaming that happened when people would say, well, why would somebody just go? Why would you do that? And I remember thinking, well, I know the situations I put myself in all because I didn't want to be rude. I wanted to be respectful and I wanted to be a nice girl, a nice woman. You might be surprised when you put so much emphasis on your little girl being a good girl and a nice girl when they have a diff- they have difficulty figuring out when it's okay to not be nice and figuring out when it's okay to say no. So I'm just going to say that. I'm not saying that was everybody's situation during Me Too. Not saying that at all. But I would like there to be some acknowledgement that maybe some of those situations, if you look at it from that perspective, are not so hard to believe. And I will say, I do think there was a lot of shaming too from older generations of women who, quite frankly, did have the worst case scenario happen pretty common. And they just had to buck up and keep it moving. So it was pretty hard, I think, for some of them to hear women saying, you know, you can't make these jokes, you can't say this. And these women have literally been raped. They have been told to keep quiet about it. They have been told it didn't matter for years, for decades. So I can understand how they would also feel some kind of way like, really, you're upset about a joke? Let me tell you the ridiculousness that I've had to deal with. And I would really like to believe that one day, instead of judging people because their experience was not as horrible as ours, allow them to be just as impacted and to hold space for them regardless of that. Okay, that's my aside. I wasn't planning on talking about that, but you know what? I went there. So adverse childhood experience, right? Being polite, meaning you don't have boundaries, you're not entitled to your boundaries, or you have to be told what your boundaries are because you are not qualified to make that decision. That is, while that may not, that is not usually explicitly said, that is the messaging. And when that is the case, you're going to see a lot in work, especially, again, coming back to, you know, if that was your relationship or the dynamic in a family, and you had to be the good girl. You had to abide by whatever rules you needed to to be a part of the family unit, to be accepted, to get love, to get the attention that you wanted. It stands to reason, and it's pretty easy, I think, to make the connection as to why it would be very hard for you to set boundaries at work. Now, those boundaries could be anything from, you know, a coworker gives you an assignment that they want help with. And you don't want to, but you don't feel like you have the right to say no because you're a good worker. You just gotta, you gotta do what you gotta do. Uh, It could be you allowing basically a resource boundary where you're always on call. You never allow yourself to disconnect. 
ever. And again, this is coming from somebody who was work, who worked in outside sales where I felt like I always had to be available to my clients. I always had to be available to our sales team, no matter the time. If somebody had an, an emergency or a call, I had to take them and I did. And here's the thing, the calls didn't happen that much, but I do remember, especially in the last few years, having some pretty strong physical responses to those calls because I had I hadn't set good boundaries and I didn't feel like I could. So therefore the resentment just built and built and built. And that is why if you listen to last week's episode, um, when I talk about the comment that was made about how no PR person works 40 hour weeks, I took it very personally when it was not meant as anything personal whatsoever. But again, Gotta acknowledge that I was the one who was not setting clear boundaries. I was the one who was going above and beyond because I thought that's what I had to do. I thought that's what I needed to do to earn love, to, to be worthy of that job. Here's the thing. And this is why you're probably like, where is this all going? Okay, fine. Adverse childhood experiences and no boundaries at work. I get it. But this is what was always so hard for me when I was trying to, you know, I wanted to set boundaries. I wanted to figure out what I wanted for myself. I wanted to go for more. I just didn't know what more was. And I wanted to feel confident. And I would read all these books. I would read all these great quotes. And I would be inspired for like five minutes. And then my little narrative would start up again. And I would find myself either self-sabotaging or just going back into the negativity. And this is really common with people like, I love this book, all right? I really do. But I'm going to talk about it. Rachel Hollis, Girl, Stop Apologizing. I read that book. It is a very good book. I thoroughly enjoyed it. So let me preface it by saying that. However, my issue, and maybe I need to go back and read it. Maybe I just read it with a different lens and I didn't pick up on the actionable steps. My issue with books like that sometimes is very much like you have to believe in yourself. You have to, you know, decide what you're going to take and what you're not and what your standards are. If you don't know why you are having a hard time setting standards, let me say, okay, for me personally, not knowing why I was having such a hard time setting standards, not knowing what the root issue was, meant that I would read something like that, be super inspired and say, yeah, I got to do this. I'm going to do this. And then when I didn't follow through, oh, how hard I would beat myself up. And I'd be like, I, I can't stop apologizing. What's wrong with me? What's What's wrong with me? Well, I wasn't getting to the root of it. And it's like when you, when you mow the lawn, right? And you cut the grass because it's springtime and summer, or summertime. I don't know what it is up in your New England, but we got relatively decent weather. So let's say you mow the, the grass, you cut the weed up, right? But the next week, weed comes right back because you didn't get the weed out at the root. So you can mow that lawn till kingdom come. That sucker's going to pop up every time. And it's going to pop up stronger than your grass. Because I don't know why. That's just how weeds are made. I mean, weeds are just so amazing. And I always am the one... I don't, I can't tell the difference between a weed and something else, which, you know, maybe there's something to that too. Maybe there's a deeper meaning to that. I don't know. But if you are not digging that weed out or if you are not taking it out at the root, it is always going to come. So you can read all of the inspirational books that you want. You can read all of the inspirational quotes, all the Monday motivations. And listen, I post them. I love my mo Monday motivation. 
But I also post a lot of stuff about trauma and first child experiences because I know that that's where it stems from. That's where that self-talk stems from. And if you get nothing out of this episode, again, I hope that you see that adverse childhood experience doesn't have to be something as extreme as addiction, mental illness, um, abuse. It doesn't have to be that. And I know a lot of people who pride themselves on, well, I had such a great uh, upbringing. I had amazingly supportive parents. And there's no reason for me to not be what I want to be and blah, blah, blah. But if you are saying that and you feel some kind of way, then I would venture to guess that there was some adverse childhood experiences. And it is not because you didn't have loving parents. It is because you had parents who were doing the best they could too, who probably didn't get the support that they needed. Like maybe instead of it being, well, I'm this way and it's because my parents, we could just say I'm this way and my parents went through their own experiences. Like this doesn't have to be a finger pointing thing. This doesn't have to be, oh, this is all my parents' fault. Because I got to tell you, if you're listening to this, this is enough of a sign that you can't blame your parents anymore. You got to do the work on you, boo-boo. You got to find out what is causing you to feel drained, overwrought, abused, unvalued. That's not the, unvalued is not a word. I don't, I'm drawing a blank on what the, what the word would be, but you don't feel like you're seen and heard at work. And I want you to understand that that again is you repeating a narrative, repeating a habit that you've had since childhood. Promise you, I promise you it is. If there is ever this thought of I'm not enough or I'm not worthy, there is a root to that. And until you look at that root and until you see and hear yourself, you can get all the validation you want from work. You can be the number one producer in your company. You can be the number one manager. You can do all the things. And the excitement will be there. And then in time, maybe a day, maybe a week, maybe a couple months, you'll be left alone with yourself again. And you'll be wondering, why don't I feel better? Why was that not enough? Because here's the unfortunate thing. All the external validation in the world is not going to come. It is not going to come within a mile of the impact of you validating yourself and seeing yourself and having grace for yourself. I know I talked about that a lot last week, but man, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be just, I hate this term, beating it like a dead horse, beating, yeah, that's such an ugly term, but I will because you beating yourself up for not having boundaries for being a perfectionist, for all the different things, it's not going to help. It's just not. You're not going to get anywhere with that. One of the other adverse experiences, um, childhood experiences, that is very common, very common. And I, I see this a lot in my lady friends. If you had a parent, it's often a female, but may not always be, who was very concerned with physical your physical image. And maybe they didn't criticize your weight or your presentation, but you saw and heard them criticize other people's repeatedly. Yeah. 
that's going to that's going to stick with you. That's going to stick with you a lot. Okay? And it's why you are going, let's say you're right now you're trying to lose weight. Boo boo kitty. I'm going to tell you right now, even if you get to that goal weight, if you have not figured out what your standard is for yourself, if you have not addressed that and seen that, okay, that's what they think. I get to decide what makes me beautiful and it does not have to be a size that they ascribe to. You are going to lose that weight and then you're going to gain it right back. And then you're going to lose it and then you're going to gain it right back. Or maybe you won't gain it back, but you're going to lose it and you're going to wonder, why is this not enough? Why am I not happy? I'm finally quote unquote beautiful or skinny enough by the standards that I've held myself to because of what I heard I should be when I was growing up. Why do I still feel not I still don't feel happy. And you know, this some weight off for a while. But that that self-talk, man, it is insidious if you don't root it out. Again, root it out. Now, one thing that you see a lot, and I've done a lot of, is behavioral changes. And when you are only addressing the behavioral change. That's like when somebody says, girl, stop apologizing. Like I used to always get Rosanna, stop apologizing. They'd be like, okay, I'm going to say that, but I don't, that doesn't change the fact that I still feel like I need to apologize. Or again, going back to the weight that we just talked about, you can change how you eat all you want. You can do all of the ridiculous uh, workout plans that you want. But if you don't root out the emotional aspect of it. If you don't get to that, if you don't work on that, then the behavioral change really doesn't matter. It's just sticking a Band-Aid on a gash. Like you might cover up a little part of it, but that Band-Aid, it can't hold a candle to the gash. Now, one thing that I really thought was interesting when I was I was doing my research on all of this and and kind of connecting this. Again, like I mentioned earlier, the types of jobs or the roles that we're attracted to. I find this incredibly interesting that one of them, and I don't even remember which book it was that I was studying in, when they were talking about codependence in relationships. And they used the example of a parent who's an alcoholic. And they were talking about, in this situation, it was a couple. And on the first date, the husband and wife went out. Well, they were, this was their first date. So they weren't husband and wife yet, but they go out first two drinks. He's great. He's charming. He's wonderful. Third drink. She sees another side of him that makes her uncomfortable, but she doesn't say anything. She doesn't acknowledge it. She just kind of lets it go. Fast forward 20 years and they find themselves in a therapist's office. And it takes that long for her to realize that in not saying anything to him, she decided that she would be okay with having to save him, with having to clean up his messes, just like she'd had to do for her alcoholic father. Now, like I said earlier, I talk a lot, it gets very common to talk about romantic relationships and how we repeat patterns. But what I was struck by was that whole codependence and the need to clean up messes does not just go to your romantic relationships. If you as a child, we're responsible for, again, maintaining the family unit, cleaning up a parent's messes. Isn't it interesting that you might be attracted to a position where you have to do that as well? Maybe it's that you have a boss who doesn't acknowledge boundaries. 
that you constantly have to apologize for and clean up after. And I don't mean physically clean up after, but like, again, emotionally, professionally, we are just as drawn to the professional situations that reflect our adverse childhood experiences as we are the romantic ones. So all of this episode, just to plant this seed, as you go through your week, the situations at work, let's just go with work. You, you can do look at family and relationships too, but let's just focus on work. What do the ones that cause your body to tense up, the people that cause your body to tense up? And just be curious enough to ask yourself, what does this remind me of? Who do they remind me of? When I feel this frustration and that I'm not being valued, I'm not being heard, when else have I felt that? Where else have I felt that? That's all you have to do. Give yourself the space to be curious about that. And again, it's usually physical. Like I've had people that would call me, whether it was a friend, a coworker, colleague, Anytime I saw their name, there was a tightness in my chest. And unfortunately, at one point, it happened so much that I didn't even notice the tightness in my chest anymore. If you are always feeling like that, if when you get a text from someone and your heart immediately starts to beat, you can feel the frustration rising, there's something there. And that is an opportunity for you to ask, "Uh uh-oh, what happened? What happened here? What happened to me here? What is this bringing up for me? Is it even about this person? Or is this about a general feeling of, again, not feeling worthy, not feeling valued, not feeling considered, not feeling seen or heard? And, you know, last week I talked a lot about the great resignation. And, you know, before you leave a job, before you make a big career change, heck, before you decide to become an entrepreneur, you're going to have to look at this stuff because it will keep coming up. That is just how life works. These narratives, these these stories, these situations will keep coming up until you address them, until you root them out. And here's something I will also want to forewarn you. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's kind of like when, and I don't know how many of you have an iPhone, but if you do, I personally, because I am not prone to love change in theory, I don't like doing my updates because every time I do that stinking update, my operating systems change. My favorite apps don't look the same. Actually, this just happened because I don't understand what iTunes did to the podcast app. I don't understand why my podcasts aren't showing, not just mine, like the podcasts I listen to that I really love. I can't access them. The app is slow. Something happened on this last stupid update, okay? And it makes me mad. Point is... (laughs) There is a point to the story. It's just like that when you are rooting this stuff out. If you're only doing the behavioral change, it's purely surface. When, however, you are rooting out experiences and self-talk and core beliefs, it's going to be uncomfortable. Just like when your apps are updated and your operating system is different. You are getting to the core of your operating system. So it is going to be uncomfortable. There are There is going to be periods of adjustment. Expect that. Please don't go into this expecting that you're going to feel warm and fuzzy. You might feel very proud of yourself that you're acknowledging yourself, that you are doing this work, but also understand that it's not as simple as a singular aha moment. 
It's going to be you practicing. It is a practice of seeing and hearing yourself. It is a practice of saying, oh, that's the feeling I have. What is the thought that causes that feeling? And where on earth is this thought coming from? Until you do that, it doesn't matter how many inspirational quotes you read. Doesn't matter how many times you do a new diet. Doesn't matter how many jobs you get, how many places you you quit. If you have not gotten to that route, if you have not changed your operating system, you are destined to repeat the same patterns and you are destined to repeat the same relationships. I hope that you got something from this. I hope that you understand now that when I talk about these things, it doesn't have to be these hugely traumatic experiences that could be little things, little microaggressions that happened to you over the years that, again, you learned meant you weren't valued. Your voice didn't matter as much as somebody else's. Your space was not something that was yours to to protect. If you do this, let me know. Reach out to me. I want to hear from you. And as I mentioned last week, I am doing, I am uh, now doing one-on-one coaching. If you want somebody to go through this with, if you want someone and a space where you can have consistent conversations and consistently do this work, reach out to me. I'd love to talk to you and see if we might be a good fit. Because I will tell you, as much as I love doing this work on myself, never not going to have a coach again. I'm never not going to have the accountability of having someone that I meet with every week that I bounce ideas off of. I talk about these aha moments and then somebody that reflects back, okay, well, now what are we changing? What's different? What's the next step? It makes all the difference, y'all, because trust and believe, I watched a whole lot of feel-good YouTube videos. I read a whole lot of feel-good books in the last few years. The biggest change came when I started investing in a coach. Plain and simple. The most consistent changes happen when I invested in a coach. So uh, if you want any recommendations on books you can read, holler at your girl because Lord knows I got plenty and I love a good book and I love a good book that lets, gives you some insight to yourself. So you can always reach out to me. And if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to write a written review if you have not already or just send me a DM. I love to hear from you guys. When you reach out to me and say that you listen to podcasts, you cannot know how much that means to me. I feel like I might get emotional just talking about that. So thank you to anybody who has reached out and said that. And I appreciate you. I so appreciate you. All right. I'll see you next week.